0: Welcome to the New Day Community Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you are encouraged by this message from the Nichols Road campus. For more info, look us up at newdaycommunity.org. Healthy heart. And uh, it picks right up where we left off in the month of January. I'm really excited about this. We've been pursuing spiritual growth and maturity in our relationship with Scripture We've been teaching on it in December and in January, and we started this reading plan for the year 2022 together. Some of you are doing it in paper like this, or using the app, and all these ways we're growing our relationship with Scripture. And so I thought, kicking off the new series, there's no better way to do it than to read a passage from this week's reading plan. So I need a volunteer, I've got it bookmarked right here, a volunteer to come and read what is that? About seven verses in the Bible. All right, Jemmy, it's you. Come on up. You got your reading glasses if you need them. Or just hold it far away like I do when I forget mine. Thank you. I'll hold it for you. Here you go. Where am I reading? From this heading right down to that one, okay? Where am I going to hold this? I'm going to hold this over here.
1: These verses just sure. Right yep. Okay. You got it? Hearing that Jesus had silent the... Pharisees and the Pharisees got together, one of them, and what's that word? Expert. Expert in the law, tested him with this question, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment, and the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself and all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments.
0: Great job. Thank you, Demi. Hey, You can grab your seat. <laughs> all right. I think that was from Wednesday, if I remember right, in the reading plan. Um, <clears throat> so, like I said, our new series is called Healthy Heart, and... Uh, we're going to look at how God wants to mature us in the inner world of our heart. I'm just going to get rid of this. All right. I love this passage as an opening for our new series because it makes the transition that we're making. You know, from understanding Scripture to applying it to our lives, to our whole being. Jesus is asked an intellectual question, isn't he? What's the greatest commandment, teacher? And his response is to love God with your whole being and to love your neighbor as yourself. He makes a correct answer to the intellectual question, but he does something else. He steers away from the intellect and toward a call to look inside ourselves and the, live the life that God intended. We're gonna steer in that same direction this month, moving our attention from the intellectual intake of Scripture to the application of that scripture in our hearts, in our inner world. I love what Pastor Cameron did last week because it was talking about the application of scripture. It was a great bridge right into this week. The Healthy Heart series for the month of February is actually an invitation to you. Come and enter the world of the heart and be transformed. You're invited. Come enter the world of the heart and be transformed this month. You have a great opportunity, and I sensed in prayer this morning that um, God is bringing things to the surface in many of your lives this month, and it would be very easy um, to confuse that as something bad, but it's an opportunity to enter the world of your heart, to understand your inner world better, to receive healing, to receive freedom, and to have significant growth. In your relationship with God. So if that's you and that happens this month, rejoice. (laughs) God's at work in you and it's a good thing and we're going to help lead you through it. The real sweet spot, in my opinion, in the Christian faith where you can grow the most is where three, three things meet and work together in harmony. The head, the heart, and the hands. We did a sermon series about this a while back. But where your head interacts with God is by learning his word and reading it, like we've been talking about. You engage your heart when you let that word transform you on the inside, the way you think, the way you, um, you know, relate to others, the belief systems inside of you. And then we grow with our hands by obeying God's word, by doing the good works that flow from a transformed life. That flow from a relationship with Him. Man, that is a sweet spot. That's where we wanna be. Healing and restoration is a term you'll hear us use this month. It's the name of a type of ministry we offer at New Day Community Church. It's also what we call the process of cultivating a healthy heart. So today I hope to introduce to you some concepts of healing and restoration at a, a certain high level. I wanna answer what I think are some common questions and uh, kinda set the table. Um, for the rest of the month. But then Kathy, Marilee, and Cameron are all going to spend weeks digging into specific topics in healing and restoration and talking to you about how to apply them to your life. It's going to be really good. Are you ready? Seatbelts buckled, I hope. Here we go. Okay, questions. I have four questions that I think people have. They're often unspoken, but I sense that they are the questions in the heart (laughs) <laughs> that come up when healing and restoration come up. So I want to talk about each of them. We're going to spend quite a bit of time on them because I think it's important to do so uh, this morning. <clears throat> Are you ready for question number one? It's on a slide. Get ready. Look for the slide. Here it comes. Question number one. Hey, heart stuff, healing and restoration, is this stuff in the Bible? You know, you might somebody might you know, be a little more skeptical, skeptical and be like, That's kind of like Oprah stuff, isn't it? Is that Dr. Phil or is that in the Bible? It's a good question. We've been spending the month of January talking about reading and understanding Scripture, you know? Uh, So this is a very good question. And and I have a lot of things to say about it. Um, Colossians 3, verses 9 through 15. I bulleted it out on the slide for you, but I'm going to read it to you. Paul is writing to Christians. He says, Seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Wow, that's a lot on the slide and a lot of words to take in. I'm going to give you a moment. Paul's writing to Christians. If you've chosen to make Jesus your Lord and Savior, if you've decided to follow him, respond to his call, come and follow me, just like he said to Peter or or James or John, then you are his chosen one, holy and beloved. You're being renewed in knowledge as you read the scriptures, like we've been talking about. And then you're called, you're invited to this process of becoming the beloved. You're invited to the process of becoming the beloved. It's who you are, but it's a process to live it out. Being the beloved is a process we engage. It's something that we practice. The new self that he tells us to put on is worked out in relationships, where we develop compassion, kindness, humility, all these things in the list. It happens in the context of our heart world and in relationships. We see Jesus, what he did for us at the cross. We become his beloved when we make the decision to be his. and we start living it out of the core of our being, out of our heart. And I love this passage as a way, uh, again, to bridge from, from last month because it talks about being renewed in knowledge and doing heart work. They go hand in hand. All right, so Paul calls us the beloved. Um, there's a book called The Life of the Beloved, It's written by Henry Nowen. I read it recently, and I just want to read you a passage from that. I put part of it here on the slide, um, but I'll read you a little bit longer passage. Um, He just puts it into words so well. one says, From the moment we claim the truth of being the beloved, we're faced with the call to become who we are. Becoming the beloved means letting the truth of our belovedness become enfleshed in everything we think say, or do. It entails a long and painful process of appropriation, or better, incarnation. As long as being the beloved is little more than a beautiful thought or a lofty idea, nothing really changes. Becoming the beloved is pulling the truth revealed to me down into the ordinariness of what I'm thinking of, talking about, and doing from hour to hour. (laughs) he says it so well. That's what Paul was getting at. You know, we have to become who we are in Christ. And that happens in our inner world. When we take this idea of we are God's chosen beloved and we make it real, we put our flesh around it, our body, our relationships, you know, our driving down I-94 to Battle Creek to go work at Post. You know, just the ordinariness of life, like no one says. Jesus talks about this a little bit too. Matthew chapter 12, he says, Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person, out of his good treasure, brings forth good. The evil person, out of his evil treasure, brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Jesus says we have to give account for our words when we're judged by God at the end of our life. And which words will he judge? The careless words. That Greek word can be also translated as thoughtless words. We're evaluated by our thoughtless words. So God doesn't judge us at the end of our life based on our thoughtfully crafted doctrinal statement or a dissertation paper or a blog post that we write. He doesn't judge us based on the answer we give when we talk to someone in our life about what we believe. We're evaluated on our thoughtless words, the words that just slip out of our mouth yeah the words that come from the heart that's exactly what jesus says merrily's tracking thank you merrily he says out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks good from a good heart evil from an evil heart so the things that slip out reveal what's going on in here and that's how he judges us it's the right way to judge isn't it (laughs) We need to cultivate, I think I have a slide for this, let's see. Yes, we need to cultivate an inner world that produces good fruit when our mind is not metering every word. I got to read that one again, it was pretty good. (laughs) We need to cultivate an inner world that produces good fruit when our mind is not metering every word. Good fruit when I'm frustrated with my young kids. Being young kids. Good fruit when, you know, my wife says something that pushes my button. When I get cut off by 994. When that person is driving way too slow for the current road conditions and I think they're blocking my path. Good fruit. (laughs) This word heart that Jesus uses in this passage is just all over the New Testament. He talks about it a lot. And it does mean the heart. It's actually, the word is cardia, but it also means your inner life, your will, your intention, your emotional state. Yes, it includes intellect too, and your character. It's like all of that stuff is what he's talking about. Out of the abundance of all of that, the mouth speaks. So we got to look at some more examples. Remember, this is question number one, is this stuff in the Bible? I got to remind you because I got a lot of examples of where this is in the Bible, don't I? Or are in question number one. Okay. Uh-oh, clicker difficulty. I hath lost mine clicker. There it is. Thank you. Okay. <clears throat> Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. That's where we've been. In Matthew 13, Jesus says, They should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. So seeing what Jesus is doing, hearing what he's saying, and then understanding and hear, and repenting, and he wants to heal. That happens in the heart. So he says, Matthew chapter 15 says, Out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. So if you have sex outside of marriage, if you're looking at porn... If you're lying, cheating, stealing, talking bad about people, where does that come from? From the heart. And so what I'd propose to you today, this is also very biblical, confess that sin. Something in that list or other things not included in that list. There's plenty of other lists in the Bible you can find. If one of those struck you this morning, confess your sin to God. He's faithful and just to forgive your sins. Receive his forgiveness. And then take one more step that we're talking about this month. Work on the source of that sin so that fruit doesn't keep coming back up, that bad fruit. Work on the heart. Cultivate a healthy heart. In Matthew chapter 18, Jesus says, forgive your brother from your heart. In Matthew 5, he says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And in Mark 11, I like this one a lot too. I like all of these. He says, Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says shall come to pass, it will be done for him. That verse is so fascinating because Jesus links belief and doubt to the heart. Overcoming doubt is not only an intellectual endeavor, but also a matter of believing and trusting God in your heart. Peter talked about this a couple weeks ago, and he did a great job. If that one just piqued your interest and you missed it, go back and check it out. So that was question one. Is this stuff in the Bible? I think I made a pretty good case. It's all over the Bible. I threw out the Old Testament reference because of time constraints. But you can find it there too. Question number two. Hey, Bill. Is this stuff for men too? Or is this women's retreat material? (laughs) Come on guys. (laughs) I got your attention. Nobody's asked me that I don't think, but I think it is an unasked question sometimes. So I have two case studies for you men, two manly man case studies, one from the Old Testament and one from the new. The first is David. In Acts chapter 13, we're recounting some of the story of God's people. And we're talking about when Saul was replaced by David as king. It says, God raised up David to be their king. He testified of him and said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart who will do all my will. So David is a man's man for sure, a giant slayer, a war hero, a conquering king. But he was chosen to lead God's people based on the condition of his heart. He cultivated an inner world that God really liked, (laughs) that matched God's own heart. That just hits me right there. He cultivated an inner world that God really liked, that matched God's own heart. And God said, There's a guy to lead my people. A guy I can use because his heart matched God's heart. David wrote this in Psalm 139. Search me, O God. Know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. I need a Kleenex. Thank you. Thank you for turning off. Search me, oh God. I'm glad I got it turned off. <laughs> Search me, oh God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Man, that's a passage that is a clue into how David cultivated the thing that God loved so much about him. That's the key. He's open to God searching his heart. He wants God to root out the junk in there and lead him. He's submitted to God. He's not his own God. He's not calling the shots. He's letting God call the shots in here. He's submitted. He's not in denial and avoiding the hard stuff, guys. Remember, this is for men and women. But this is for us, guys not avoiding the hard stuff, not being in denial. David was tough in battle, but soft with God in the secret place, in the quiet times. All right, we got a manly case study number two from the New Testament. It's John the Apostle. John and his brother James got a nickname from Jesus, the Sons of Thunder. You know, it kind of seems like one of those, like, monster truck rally commercials. (laughs) Sons of Thunder on Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. Come and see James and John call down fire from heaven. (laughs) That wasn't in my notes. It was pretty funny. No wonder they got this nickname, Sons of Thunder. There's a town that doesn't receive Jesus real well. And they're like, Jesus, can we call down fire from heaven on this town? Like, wow, okay, Uh, John, yeah, uh, no, we're not going to do that. But uh, stick around, we'll do some other cool stuff. So this guy's a man's man of the New Testament. But then we start reading more about John. We start digging a little deeper. He's referred to, by himself, all over the Gospel of John, as the disciple Jesus loved. He's the guy, when Jesus is hanging on the cross, he says, Take care of my mom for me when I'm gone. In 1 John 4, 7 through 12, a letter he wrote, that's only, what is that, like five or six verses. He uses the word love 13 times and a couple of beloveds to boot. That's a lot of love from old son of thunder, isn't it? So this is a man well-versed in relationship and heart issues as well. And we find out as we read church history and learn a little more about John, he lived a lot longer than many of the other disciples of Jesus. He was a very fatherly figure or even grandfatherly figure to the early church, cared for the needs of many early churches. So he's a man well acquainted with the heart. That was question number two. It's for us two guys. You like that? A question just for you, men. Let's go. All right, question number three. Well, do I need that? What if I already prayed through that before? Do I still need that? <clears throat> so, dear friends. <laughs> you know me too good. You're already happy, <laughs> Dear friends. Very serious moment here. On behalf, I've talked with all the people closest to you in your life. On behalf of the people who know you. So deeply, so well. The people who live with you, who are friends with you, who are family to you. I have an answer to this question. Yes, (laughs) you need it still. (laughs) They told me, and you do. And yes, indeed, so do I. I didn't ask Merrily or my kids because I already knew this answer. (laughs) I can see that, yes, indeed, I need it still. It is still for me. Let's look again to... uh, Paul. Did we read Paul yet? Maybe we didn't. Let's look at Paul for the first time. Uh, Again, I threw some of it on the slide. I'm going to read you a little bit more from Philippians 3. Paul says, I want to know Jesus and the power of his resurrection. Not that I have already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Jesus Christ has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward toward what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. So Paul's a guy with a lot of accomplishments and a lot of work put in uh, in his journey with the Lord, but his view of his relationship with God is, I'm not there yet. I'm not perfect. I got to press on. I got to keep going onward, upward toward what he has for me. I've still got a long ways to go and I'm still working at it. It's just like we read about David. Constantly on the lookout for places where there needs to be an adjustment of mind and heart. I'm willing to keep getting after it. We too need God to work in our heart. We need to press on in this area of our journey. We are in the process of becoming like Jesus and that's a lifelong thing. So stick with it, stick with it. It's my encouragement to you this morning. So as we think about David and we think about Paul, this right here is where I hope you land today. If you get nothing else, please get this. It's the approach of David and the persistence of Paul. So you can say, today, my heart is open and ready. I'm willing to be searched by you, God. I'll press on as you lead me. The approach of David, the persistence of Paul. I'm open and ready. I'm willing. Lead me as I press on. I'm going to stick with it. I hope that's where you land today. I want to give you a couple of examples from my life of having to stick with it. Uh, One small one and one big one, all right? Sound good? Who wants the small one first? Too bad, that's what I'm doing. (laughs) Don't you love answering your own questions? Yes, I do. (laughs) Golly. Um, So one time I was hanging out with some guys uh, many years ago, and I said something just about the way the world works, my take on it, and the given situation, I'm not going to say what it is. And um, somebody just blasted me. Like totally... No way, that's not it. It's like this. Don't worry, it's none of you. You're fine. Uh, no way, that's not it. It's like this. So like I go to the other room, catch my breath for a second, you know, and come back and finish the day and the activity or whatever. We all go our separate ways. And I'm like, man, I'm offended by the way he treated me in that moment. And so I'm like, I need to forgive him. <laughs> that whole like, if you want God to forgive you, you need to forgive others thing. All right, I'm going to do it. So I forgive him. You know, and a day, a couple days go by, and I'm like, "Eh, it's still stuck in my craw, as they say. So I forgive him again. Well, repeat that cycle, like, a lot. Why did this get under my skin so bad? It wasn't that big of a deal. I don't know, but it did. And so I forgave him, and forgave him, and forgave him, you know, and now a lot of time goes by. But every once in a while, I remember this person, you know, that I don't see a lot, you know, we're not hanging out together every day. Uh, But he comes back up and I'm like, doggone it. (laughs) I'm still just a little bit tweaked by that thing he said. And so I just keep on forgiving. It's a search my heart, oh God, see if there's anything in me that's no good. And I'm willing to press on and keep on forgiving and persist. So that's a little one, a little example. A big one um, is my dad's death. I was in second grade when my dad died. And um, that's a big deal as you may guess. Um, And then I uh, became a Christian growing up, and then I became planted at a church, this church, that talks about this stuff. And so it's now been 20 years of applying the principles of healing and restoration to all the different little facets and ramifications of losing my dad when I was a little kid. I've made a ton of progress. I've seen a ton of breakthrough by applying these principles to that situation in my life. But I don't count it complete, like Paul said. I'm not uh, digging that up on a daily or weekly basis, you know, trying to manufacture something to pray through with the Lord. But I'm open. And when it comes up, which is usually through some other means, where it's like some relationship, some situation I'm stuck, not doing well, frustrated with a person, not able to hear God's voice, something like this. And I go, what the heck is going on here? And lo and behold, it comes back to some aspect of that. It's one of the biggest things that has marked my life. It's a big deal. And so I just stay persistent when God brings it up to let him lead me to press on, to do whatever I've got to do to see his healing and to see the freedom he has for me in that part of my life. All right, so that was question three. Do I still need it? Since I pulled all your friends, they said, yes, you do. (laughs) Question number four, this is our final question. And unspoken, no one said this to me either, but hey, Bill, isn't the real meat in theology and doctrine? Isn't that like where it's at? So let's learn from the letter to the church in Ephesus. This is in Revelation chapter two, all right? Jesus is writing a letter to a church in Ephesus, and here's what he says. It's up there. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not. And you found them to be false, but I have this against you. Dun, dun, dun. You have abandoned the love you had at first. Ephesus is doing really good on doctrine. Their theology is buttoned up and squared away, but remember God cares about the heart. He chose David based on the condition of his heart. So he's saying, good job over here. Doctrine, good. You forgot this one. Let's get get two thumbs up to be really, "Eh." you know, they move hand in hand. They work together. Don't forget the heart. Um, About two years ago, we did a a sermon series on being emotionally healthy. And a lot of it came from a book called The Emotionally Healthy Church by Peter Schizero. Um, and I wanted to read you a couple of things he says. He says, It is not possible for a Christian to be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. That part wasn't on the slide. I'm gonna just read that one again and then we'll get to the part on the slide. It is not possible for a Christian to be spiritually mature. While remaining emotionally immature. Where did we get the idea that spiritual maturity can be achieved apart from an integration of the emotional aspects of who we are? This comes far more from Platonism and Gnosticism than from Holy Scripture. Wow. Richard Foster wrote a book called The Celebration of Discipline. And what he said is, The desperate need today is not for a greater number of intelligent people or gifted people, but for deep people. God wants you mature. God wants you to go deep. God wants you to be like David, a deep person. And doggone it, you don't have to be all that smart to do it. (laughs) If you don't feel like you're that smart, you are still qualified. Somebody needed to hear that. (laughs) Amen. And if you're smart, don't forget this part. I love studying stuff and learning. Like my Christmas list was full of books, you guys. (laughs) So I'm not on your case if you like that too. But they go hand in hand. To be complete. To be whole. To be what God has for you. To experience freedom and wholeness. The John 10.10 abundant life. You can't neglect the heart. Oh, man. Or consider the parable of the Good Samaritan. Go right to Jesus. In this parable, the hero is a Samaritan, a man who believes that God dwells in a different temple than the one in Jerusalem. Total disagreement about the doctrine of where God lives and how he relates to his people the bad guys in the story are a Levite and a priest, the people who have their doctrine right. The people who are well-studied and well-versed in God's word are the bad guys in the story. What does that say? It's Jesus' parable. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm just telling you what he said here. He makes the Samaritan the hero of this story because he has the right heart. He has compassion on someone who's hurting. Read the Gospels and look at how many times it says Jesus had compassion and you'll be blown away. I should have counted. <laughs> I could tell you how many times, but then you wouldn't go do it. Go do it. Go do it. Read your Bible and look for that word compassion. I read ESV and that's, it's, it's everywhere. Okay? It is everywhere. Well, I read NIV this year because I read the red one. But last year I read ESV. Um, The Samaritan crossed boundary lines for the sake of compassion. Are there boundary lines you're not willing to cross? Let me blow my nose while you think about that. Are the boundary li- lines that you're not willing to cross for compassion. Let me give you examples. Maybe political boundary lines. Maybe racial boundary lines. Denominational or doctrinal boundary lines. If we won't be moved by compassion because of those other things, we don't have the heart of God. I'll put it another way. Does your stance trump your compassion? Is compassion free to flow from you to someone on the other side? I'm challenged by it too. We should be, especially in 2022. Okie doke. (laughs) Four questions about healing and restoration stuff. So what in the world is healing and restoration? Uh, spiritual growth. This is all about spiritual growth in your thought patterns, in your emotions, in your belief systems, relationships, and your approach to life. The belief systems down here, remember, not the dissertation belief systems, the ones that just leak out of the abundance of what's in here. Those areas of our life, we want to align with the will, the word, and the way of Jesus. That's healing and restoration. That's cultivating a healthy heart. I'm excited to do that with you this month. It's the process of allowing the Holy Spirit to heal your brokenness, set you free, and make you whole in every way. It's about connecting with God so he can heal brokenness, so he can restore relationship. It's exchanging our way for God's way. Exchanging the beliefs of our heart for the truth as he reveals it to us in his word and in times of prayer. Jesus claimed for himself a mission statement when he got up in the synagogue. He read from Isaiah 61. These are just a few of the things that he read. But he says he came to bring good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and to comfort all who mourn. Jesus has compassion for the poor, the broken, the captive, and the grieving. Wherever an aspect of your heart, of your life, is broken, you know, in jail, captive, wherever you are grieving, life's hurts, Jesus has compassion on you. He wants to heal that. There's another way we can look at it, too. I feel like sometimes when I say stuff like I just said, some people are like, yeah, man, I got... I got some stuff I really need to connect with God on. You know, I feel brokenhearted about it. It's tough. I feel trapped. And other people are like, Meh, I don't." that doesn't resonate with me. Okay, so same thing, different way. You're on a journey. Remember Paul said the upward call of God in Christ. We're on a journey with God, a lifelong journey Upward what he has for you, what he's called you to be, what you have access to through Jesus right now, putting it into flesh like and no said. Okay, you're on a journey. But heart baggage, messed up belief systems deep in here, thought patterns, ways of relating to other people are like baggage you carry on the journey. They can weigh you down. They can slow you down. They can leave you worn out and at a lack of energy to move forward it is draining to carry that junk with you so don't be like this guy in the inner world of your heart that is a big backpack who wants to grab that backpack and go with me on a hike up a mountain like you're crazy don't be that guy Ministry from Jesus in your heart can unburden you for the journey of the Christian faith. And then you can be like this guy. Doesn't it look like he's having more fun? Absolutely. Can't he go further? Can't he enjoy the journey more? Absolutely. Let's get unburdened by Jesus. Let's have fun being a Christian. Let's go farther than we ever could have thought or imagined. Okay, I just want to throw out real briefly a bunch of potential situations that healing and restoration applies to, kind of as a teaser. Um, The next three weeks, we'll talk about some specifics and go deep. But like if you're going, all right, what in the world are you talking about? What does this apply to? The stuff that comes to mind for most people right away, and it's totally true, is abuse, death, addictions, abandonment, other traumas. God wants to heal your heart. Absolutely. But it also shows up in, in other ways. Like that person at work that just frustrates you and you just avoid them. Or you're even thinking about going to work somewhere else to get away from that person. God can do a work in your heart so that you can be around that type of person because they're everywhere, I promise you. He can do a work in your heart to where you could team up with someone like that. Maybe he's going to have you do that to further his kingdom in the future. Do the work of the heart. What about people who just dump their stuff on you and suck you into every crisis? They trample your boundaries and just burden you with their stuff. You know, that's an issue of the heart. God wants you to work with you on forgiveness, you know, and teach you how to set up loving boundaries and learn how to confront in love. If you've never heard that phrase or thought about it, do some work of the heart in that area. Maybe you're failing a class you have no business failing. Maybe that comes out of a belief system that says, I'm so stupid. Maybe someone told you that when you were a kid or you failed a test or something happened and you took that on as a belief of your own. God wants to work in your heart. Maybe you're full of potential that never gets realized. Maybe that comes from a belief system that says, I'll never amount to anything. Or someone told you long ago, you're such a failure. God wants to heal your heart. Maybe you have trouble hearing God's voice. And it comes from a belief that I'm all alone in this world. Hypothetical example there. That I've gone through. Maybe you experience excessive drivenness. Now, I love drive and motivation, and we need more of it in this world, in my humble opinion. That's not in the Bible, I'm not supporting that one. But the extreme version of drivenness can be rooted in heart issues. You know, things like going on down here in that unspoken belief system that say, it'll never happen if I don't do it, no one else is looking out for me or acceptance comes through performance. Maybe judgments are causing us to reap what we've sown in judgment. Maybe you find yourself turning into all the things that you hated about so-and-so when, you know, long ago when you were growing up. Maybe your mom or dad, that's a common one. Maybe you've got an inner vow operating in you that says, I'm never going to let blank happen to me again, and it's controlling your life. God wants to set you free. Those are a whole bunch of examples. Remember where I hope you land today, with the approach of David and the persistence of Paul. The approach of David and the persistence of Paul. Search my heart, oh God. My heart's open and ready. I'm willing to be searched by you, God, and I'm going to press on as you lead me. Mary Lee's gonna come and close it up this morning. Thank you, yeah. What a great intro
1: to this month. So let's stand and respond. Yeah, so let's just align ourselves with with what Bill has taught us this morning, and um, can you put the last slide back up? We'll actually pray that together. Is that possible? Let's just pray this out loud together, um, but say it to God, so um. My heart is open and ready, willing to be searched by you, God. I will press on as you lead me. Okay? Here we go. Dear God, my heart is open and ready, willing to be searched by you, God. And I will press on as you lead me. Yeah, so I just pray blessing over these folks as they posture themselves this month to be open to engaging and really going down this road with you. Um, And I just, right now, I bind fear and I bind pride to things that um, inhibit this this posture and this process. And so that we would be humble and willing and that fear would be bound and, and would not keep us from engaging with this. In Jesus' name, I bless your people and thank you for the work that you're doing in us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.